Hello and welcome to Notes from the Conservatory, a podcast from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. This podcast is a chronicle of conversations and interviews with our faculty, students, and guest artists. I'm your host, Richard Cooper. Today, our guest is Andrew Ballow, an alumni of the BCCM and one of my former students. Following graduation in 2009, Andrew began touring with the rock band Sublime with Rome, playing sax and keyboards. He's now a Grammy-winning composer and music producer who has worked with Mariah Carey, Coldplay, Rihanna, Bruno Mars, and Kanye West. Now, here's my conversation with Andrew Ballow. Before you got to Cal State Long Beach, like, what's your origin story? I was born and raised in Torrance, California. My parents are both immigrants. Uh, My mom was born in Germany. My dad was born in Hungary. They came to the States at a young age, raised in just a pretty simple, humble, normal household setting. I was always passionate about music. Uh, I started playing piano when I was five and started with the sax at seven. My parents were kind of always saying, hey, you should be a doctor, be an attorney. We came to this country for a better life, and, you know, you want to be a musician. But they were cool about it, and they, uh, you know, were nice enough to get me weekly private lessons. I didn't get video games or anything like that or any fancy clothes, but they did support me in the sense that I had weekly instruction, so I was fortunate with that. I went to high school, and about sophomore year in high school, my dad took me to the Jazz Bakery, which was a venue up in uh, Culver City to go here. John Patitucci was a bassist, a drummer, Vinnie Colyuta. From that moment on, I was so inspired just sitting up front in the front row and, and hearing that. It was such an intimate venue that I realized I really want to be a musician and write my own tunes, play the saxophone, and just dive full into it. And then um, auditioned at some schools and you know came to, at the time it was Cal State Long Beach, uh, now it's the Bob Cole Conservatory, but I auditioned and was fortunate enough to get a decent scholarship, and so there I went. What, uh, what high school did you go to? Actually, you know, I was supposed to go to Narbonne High School, but uh, Peninsula High School, which is up in Palos Verdes, has a really good uh, music program, so my mom, really cool and supportive, got a job working for the district, so I got to go up to this nice fancy high school and experience culture shock, all these rich kids driving nice cars, and <laughs> here I go in my Volkswagen 1972 bug. All right, well, tell me about your time at Cal State Long Beach. Uh, I started here in 2004, got out in 2009. When I started studying here, uh, Leo Potts was my saxophone professor. I auditioned as a performance major. I was always really passionate about the uh, jazz studies degree, but at that time they hadn't really nailed down the curriculum yet, and most people were just doing a performance degree and then graduating in five years. So um, I studied with Leo Potts. He was a great saxophone teacher. He really honed in any holes I had in my technical abilities as a player. My fundamentals, he really focused on that and just leveled it all out to, uh, after the first semester of of studying with him, he really changed my whole perspective of playing the instrument and it really just enhanced my overall level of musicianship studying with him. Uh, Just thinking about the littlest things that I never paid any attention to, like measuring your air velocity into the instrument based off of what notes you're playing. Concepts like that really honed in my intonation, stuff that I had initially struggled with. So I started studying with Leo. Leo retired, I believe, in 2005. At that point, I had given my junior recital, which was all classical repertoire, and then I switched to a jazz studies major. Jeff Jarvis came in and took over the jazz studies program and then um, sort of shifted my focus primarily into jazz saxophone, uh, woodwind doubling, and jazz arranging and stuff like that. And so my degree is a degree in jazz studies and I'm a minor in composition. So you started in classical and then moved into jazz. Yeah, and you know, I'm really glad I did that. At the time, I was really like, oh my God, like I'm spending all this time learning classical and and the clock's ticking and I need to get out of here and and learn all these tunes and, you know, play amazing solos and, and do all that. But, you know, now that I'm 32 years old, it's like such a small speck in my life, which that um, I'm really glad I had that structured, fundamental instruction. Classical, I think, playing that type of music really kept me honest. 
you know, with my technique, you really can't cheat your way through a piece, especially solo pieces, even without a piano accompaniment. You're really exposed and vulnerable to every little detail of, of your pitch and your articulations and vibrato is just all out there for everyone to hear. So, Would you recommend that? You know, it really depends. If you're looking to, to do the studio thing, like be a studio musician like what Sal and Jay do or Dan Higgins or any of those guys, or you're even in brass instruments like Rob Shearer, Wayne Bergeron, all those guys all have incredible fundamentals and technique, and, and I know they all take their classical training very seriously. So I would say that's important. I don't think you have to go through this strict two, three-year regimen of only playing classical music to be a great jazz musician. I know a lot of jazz is critiqued off your improvisational abilities and having a unique tone, having your own vocabulary and your own language. But I definitely advocate the fact that you know having a good, strong, classical, fundamental technique will make any technical barrier between you and your instrument a lot easier to overcome. And I think that's really where it shines a lot. So yeah, I would highly encourage uh, jazz studies majors or people that want to pursue that career to at least devote some of their time practicing classical technique and etudes and stuff like that, because it's challenging, you know. Do you have any favorite experiences? Sophomore year, I was like living on my own in this dumpy ghetto apartment off of uh, Elm and Broadway, which is just the pits. And um, I was late on my rent, and my landlord was like pissed at me because I was practicing in the studio apartment that I was living in and threatened to evict me. And I was like, you know what, screw you, I'm going to move out. And that summer, I had a key to B1, which is a practice room all the way to the far right. And uh, I had a gym membership. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Target and buy like a $30 box fridge and just throw some blankets in here, you know, go eat wherever and just sleep in B1 rent-free for a month. And I had a good run until um, I think it was Cecilia Coleman, who was a jazz studies piano teacher back then, was doing something, <laughs> knocked out, sleeping in the corner, and she opens the door, and there I am, like, unshaven, smelling <laughs> like whatever I smelled like back then. And she was like, whoa, who are you? And I was like, thankfully, I knew her really well because uh, she was a guest artist with the big band. I kind of just told her on the DL, like, hey, I'm kind of crashing here for a month until I get my finances together. And she was like, well, I won't tell anybody, but, you know, you should get out of here before the semester starts. <laughs> so I think I was in there for like six weeks. I never, you know, my friends knew, no one else really knew. I, maybe people knew, but they never really told anyone. But it was great because I was in that environment. I was practicing all day and I had a nice baby grand piano to play <laughs> on and all that cool stuff. <laughs> That's fantastic. So what about tours? Did you tour with the jazz band? Yeah, we did the Monterey Jazz Festival, and we won the festival in 2007, which is great. And then we got to actually play at the actual jazz festival. And that was really cool because we were actually performing there like as artists. We had access to the backstage area where all the other recording artists were. So I had a chance to meet people that I really idolized, like Chris Potter, a phenomenal Cuban piano player, Gonzalo Rubicabla and was one person playing there with a string quartet, and it was the Kronos Quartet based in San Francisco. So totally classical musicians, but got a chance to meet them, and some of them were nice enough to exchange emails with me and have kept in touch with Chris Potter. I was able to squeeze a couple lessons out of him, and uh, now, ironically, I actually did some arrangements and produced a record that he was one of the saxophonists on in New York. So 10 years later, there you go. So that was a cool tour. We did um, the Reno Jazz Festival as well. That was fun. And we did kind of like a lot of master classes, guest artist type things with, with high schools around the area, which I really enjoyed at the time too, because a lot of the places that we'd stop off were, you know, Fresno and Merced, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, and a lot of these kids are kind of sheltered in that area. So they were definitely excited to have, you know, new faces come in and work with them. Tell me about after college, what happened? Kind of like the last year I was here, I, I started to really shift myself into a different gear where I really started thinking about, you know, do I want to go to grad school? Do I want to start working professionally? And, and was kind of weighing a lot of different options. Thought about it long and hard, and I was like, you know, there's a lot of teachers that might be teaching composition or film scoring or even, you know, saxophone at a reputable school like USC or even here. 
So I just decided to kind of continue my instruction with them out of my own pocket, which at the time, most of my money was coming from casuals, uh, playing gigs and teaching private lessons. So I did have a little bit of you know money saved up to where I could invest in orchestration lessons, composition lessons, saxophone lessons. And I feel like my time out of school was literally just 100% devoted to practicing and score study and ear training. After that, I had an opportunity to audition for a band called Sublime with Rome, which is the former Sublime based out of Long Beach. It was uh, two original members with a new lead singer. How does that relate to the Dubstar All-Stars? Dubstar All-Stars are kind of their own group with Eric Wilson, who's one of the original bass players of Sublime. So in 2010, they restarted the band with Bud Gaw, who was the original drummer of Sublime, and Eric Wilson, who was the original bass player. Uh, Bradley, the lead singer, had passed away, so they got a new lead singer named Rome Ramirez and restarted the band and started doing world tours. So I auditioned for them in 2012 and then started touring with them and went all over the world doing 15,000-seat arena stadium tours, playing saxophone and keyboards. Did it kind of on and off. They only really did about 15 weeks out of the year that we were touring, so I did that for three years. And then in my downtime, I um, focused on composing and tracks for recording artists and stuff like that. Sounds like you finished college and got to work. I was fortunate there were a lot of grad students here and students older than me that were ahead of me in the program that were graduating and moving along. Some of them were really cool. Some of them took me under their wing and really said, just because you get your degree doesn't mean the phone's just going to start ringing because, you know, word on the street is, hey, Andrew Ballow graduated with a degree. Let's start calling him. <laughs> it's not how it works. So, um, you know, Sal was really insightful and Jay with uh, how a lot of the um, studio scene kind of worked. And then a really great saxophone professor here, James Barrera, um, I studied with him for a little bit too. He really opened my eyes to like, hey, you could go to grad school and this is what you could expect. I just kind of decided I'm going to spend my last year here. I'm obviously going to complete my coursework and give the recital, finish the degree. But I'm really going to start taking advantage of opportunities. If I could sub for somebody at a rehearsal at the union, if I could do a little arrangement jingle for some either singer-songwriter or an independent film with no budget at all just to kind of start getting my name out there and cultivating relationships, that's kind of the path that I took. So I really was, I guess, fortunate in the sense that when I did get out, I, I already had a kind of the momentum moving and I just didn't fall on my face and freak out. And having students was always a good, uh, stable income for me. Um, I had my Saturday mornings and afternoons and Sunday mornings and afternoons devoted to teaching my private lessons. And then in the evenings, I'd play gigs or shows. I did join the Local 47. You know, didn't get a ton of union calls, but I did get a few and that developed a relationship with contractors and other instrumentalists. Right. I started to get to know a lot of them, and then they'd start flipping me work, subbing for them and stuff. So you just kind of, you know, you're kind of building your relationships, getting to know more people. And over time, if you stay focused and keep doing that, it just constantly grows, which is awesome. Yeah, are you still teaching? No, I give, um, once a semester, I give a, a master class in uh, music production and film composition at USC. And then um, once a year, I go to NYU and work you know, it's kind of a masterclass more driven for arranging and writing for like more mainstream music. So string arrangements for a Bruno Mars record or stuff like that. So I haven't had a private student in a long time. So how did you get from there to Universal? Yeah, that was an interesting story. So through touring with Sublime, we played like a lot of festivals, K-Rock, Weenie Roast, Warp Tour, just tons of them all over the world. And a lot of the other groups there that we shared the stage with were Blink-182, Fall Out Boy, even bigger music festivals like Coachella, where you kind of had every single genre, you would meet kind of everyone. You're performing there, you're backstage. If you're backstage, you're there with, you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, uh, Zed, Calvin Harris, people like that. And randomly, I got to meet Jay-Z, which was really awesome. I spoke to him super briefly and got to know his music director really well. We were friends a while back. We did like a Berkeley summer program together. I think this is also something that I, I failed to mention earlier when we were talking about my time at the school. I really made sure every summer that I went out to like workshops and 
like Aspen, you know, it was a great festival. And then uh, Berkeley College of Music had like a five week thing in Boston. And I just spread the net a little bit farther and got to meet multiple people. So one of my friends was Jay-Z's music director and Jay-Z was working on a new album with Kanye and they needed tracks. And I said, hey man, I have a ton of these intricate tracks that I produced and created. And could I give you my you know, link to my Dropbox and can you maybe get it to him? And he did it. And one of them made it on the album. And with having produced the instrumental production of a song for Jay-Z and Kanye West really opened the doors. Which album was this? Uh, it was called Watch the Throne. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was getting these DMs on Twitter and random messages on Facebook. Hey, we, we listened to your track. It's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. So at that point, I was approached by a agent at a United Talent Agency, which is kind of like William Morris or CAA, and said, hey, I'd like to represent you as a composer and as a music producer. Is that something you'd be interested in? I said... Sure, man. Like, not to go too much into the business, but the way agents work is they essentially leverage deals for you. They get you work, projects, whatever, and they take 10% of whatever you're being compensated with. So at that point, I thought, well, this is great. I could have someone working for me. I don't owe them any money that I'm making performing or writing for an independent film or doing string arrangements for somebody. They're only taking compensation from what they bring me. So this guy was great. He uh, put a whole pitched together and had an entertainment lawyer package everything up and presented it to Universal, Warner Brothers, and Sony. We call them the big three in the uh, music industry. They all have a ton of recording artists signed to them. They produce and distribute their music, and they also produce films and stuff like that. So I got a deal, a publishing deal with Universal Music Group, and it was a really great signing bonus and just a ton of work right out of the gates. What kind of work were you doing? It's actually really cool. They got me a small, like what you call a writer room in the Capitol Records building, which is my studio now. Most of the work that I was doing with them initially was like horn arrangements, string arrangements, rhythm section arrangements for a lot of their artists' tours. So I did all the string arrangements and horn arrangements for Mariah Carey's Elusive Chanteuse tour. Did some horn arrangements for Bruno Mars's record, and then that kind of transitioned into being in writing situations with the artist in the room to where then that transitioned to full-blown producing a track. And for people who are listening to this who don't know what a music producer is, it's not really like a movie producer where you're dealing with money. A movie producer is sort of dealing with budgets and kind of organizing the whole process of putting a film together. A music producer essentially is another word for like a composer, but you're actually producing the instruments on your own. So as far as um, a drum groove, a bass line, synthesizer parts, guitar parts, you are actually creating all of that, whether it be with live musicians or in the box, you know, on Pro Tools or on Logic or or Ableton. So you're basically doing everything other than writing lyrics. That would essentially be a songwriter. Songwriter usually creates lyrics on a vocal melody. A music producer creates all of the instrumental parts. So that kind of was the direction that I went with them initially, and now I'm really happy I'm in a good place. I'm currently scoring a Netflix original, which is great, and then got to do a little bit of um, orchestration for an Amazon Prime show called Jack Ryan. And what about the Netflix show? Netflix original? Yeah, it's called The uh, Emissary. The lead actor is John Voight. I'm wrapping that up right now. You probably won't start seeing advertisements for it until probably next year in the fall. Mm. Is that a good experience, working with him? Working with Netflix is great. Essentially, the way that works is um, the footage is delivered to me in five reels, and then uh, I'll just go through the visual footage and dialogue and then analyze and digest what's happening visually and just start creating music, which is going to enhance the scenes and kind of drive the movie and, and start to set a pace. A lot of the production stuff can get a little tedious dealing with Recording artists kind of comes with having to deal with an ego as well, and a lot of them don't speak the music language, so knowing just how to 
knock down that barrier and start to kind of understand what they want their music to be about is definitely um, challenging and frustrating at times. Is this a full-time gig or is it more project-based? So Universal Music, the deal with them is I got a, a signing bonus and my contract with them was for four years. After that four-year contract expires, I'm able to essentially either renegotiate my deal with them or walk away or whatever, kind of like an NFL athlete or basketball player would get. Compensation's good. The signing bonus, if I hypothetically never worked one hour in my life after signing it, it was still my money, so. <laughs> but that hasn't been the case. I'm, you know, it's about 50 hours a week. Are you still gigging at all? or Not as much as I'd like to, so I still practice my instrument. Every once in a while, if I do have like a free weekend, I'll invite somebody to the studio and we'll have like a jam session and play. I did do a, a saxophone solo on a, um, a friend who signed a Blue Note. He was working on his album, and I played on one tune, which was really cool. But uh, not as much playing as I'd like. I still love it to death. It's just the path that I'm on right now is just financially stable, and I'm happy doing that. And maybe at some point, five or ten years, I'll all of a sudden decide I want to go back to playing more. And That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything, any advice you could give to anybody out there who, let's say, they're in high school and that they're thinking about coming to Cal State Long Beach? I'm a huge advocate of Long Beach. I know there's a lot of other options out there not throwing them under the bus, but at USC, their practice rooms do close at midnight, and they open up at like four, and it is hard to get a room. When I was at Long Beach, I lived in one, <laughs> so you can't beat that. But in all seriousness, in addition to that, killing faculty, um, buddy of mine, Rob Shear, who I didn't even know taught here, teaches here, and he's an incredible trumpet player. He's played on some of my stuff. Great saxophone teacher, Sal and Jay. I think Bill Reichenbach is on faculty. He's like ran the studios from the late 70s until present day playing trombone. And those guys are all the guys who are doing all these big dates. I've seen them coming in and out of the studio a lot. And whenever there's anything huge, those guys are on it. So if I was back in high school, I would look at that as like, I'm studying like with the source essentially of what I want to be doing. And I think that is priceless. That was priceless for me to have that type of instruction and guidance. And uh, I would highly encourage everyone to come here. Tuition is very reasonable. I did have a student and he was really excited. He got into the Manhattan School of Music and I was kind of like, ooh, okay, that's a phenomenal program. Long Beach is great, USC is great, whatever. And he got out there and unfortunately he dropped out after the second year because he had to work to sustain a living with the crazy expenses in Manhattan and he wasn't even able to really devote as much time as he would have liked to learning the material in the program. So finances is obviously something I think people should consider. I'm glad I didn't have to start my career off in debt with student loans. I think that's something that people should also take into consideration. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been Notes from the Conservatory from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. Thanks for listening.